0: Welcome to the transitional episode for Upstate Medical University Admission Granted. My name is Dr. Crystal Ripa, and I am the Director of Special Admissions Programs. And I am here listening to these two fantastic future co-host today. Um, Because Admissions at Upstate oversees the podcast but tries not to control any of the content on the podcast, I wanted to take some time and introduce you to two out of three of our next co-hosts. We're also going to talk a little bit about their journeys as it relates to research and their journeys just to their future careers. So with that, I will ask my host to, or my guest host, to introduce your Yourself. Um, Christina, how about you introduce yourself first? A little bit about where you're from
1: and what you are here at Upstate to do. Yeah, so thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Christina. I am a first year medical student in the College of Medicine. Uh, I'm from Jamesville, New York, which is a little town right outside of Syracuse. And uh, again, I'm, I'm here studying medicine. I'm, I'm super excited to be a part of this podcast and hopefully get to share some of my insight about the admissions process. And just kind of talking a little bit about my journey to where I'm now at <laughs> You're at Upstate. So excited to have you. And Brittany. Oh,
2: yeah. I also didn't realize that you were also from Syracuse. So my name is Brittany. Um, I'm from Chittenango, New York, which is east of Syracuse. And um, I'm a fourth-year PhD student in the Microbiology and Immunology Department. And thank you for that wonderful introduction, Crystal. And I'm just really excited to, you know tap into the podcast life. <laughs> yeah, well, we're so excited to have you. Um, so, Brittany, let's start with you. Why did you choose this career path? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I just, well, my, hmm, how to start out? So my dad is a physics teacher at West Jenny, and I've always just had this love for science, and I remember, like, when I was a kid just like shooting off potato guns into like the cornfield behind our house and like ever since I was a child I just loved science and I went to undergrad at SUNY Potsdam and they really have a small like science department there so you really know the professors and I just found my way into research and I was like hmm maybe this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and now I'm at grad school. (laughs) I love that. I love that.
0: And for any of our listeners that may not be familiar with SUNY, so um, State University of New York, um, is the SUNY is the acronym. And we are the largest public um, university system in the nation with 64 campuses. So here at Upstate, we are one of the campuses. And so Brittany had referred to SUNY Potsdam, um, which is very north, north, north uh, <laughs> yes. of New York. So what about you, Christina? Why did you choose this
1: career? Yeah, so I guess it was kind of a concoction of reasons. Um, My greatest inspiration was definitely my grandpa, who actually recently passed away. He was a very, very intelligent person. Even though he had never received a college education, he was always looking for a new opportunity to learn. So I think spending a lot of time with him as a kid really kind of pushed me in that direction. I always kind of had a, a curiosity about how things worked because that's kind of how he showed me how to be. And then I was also in a program in high school called the Choices Program run through Krause Hospital, which is actually right next door to Upstate. Um, And it was every month a different doctor from a different specialty in medicine would come in and talk to us. And the first day was Dr. Robert Draker, who's a pediatrician in Syracuse. And I immediately, as soon as I got in the car, my mom actually picked me up right in front of Weiss Cotton Hall here at Upstate. And I got in the car, and it was like, when they say you try on a wedding dress for the first time, and you know that it's your dress, I knew that after that day, I knew that medicine was for me. And funny enough, then the next time that I saw Dr. Draker, he was actually the keynote speaker at my white coat ceremony, which is really, oh. <laughs> really cool. So yeah, I just, I love science. I love helping people. And I always knew that From a young age, whatever I did, I wanted to make sure that I was felt like I was really helping the world and helping the cause of making humanity healthier. So that's kind of my reasons. Some sort
0: of divine intervention. Wise Cotton Hall is our primary academic building here at Upstate. So for you to have that moment here, right? Some sort of divine intervention. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear from you both. What are you most excited about with your careers and what are you most scared of? as you pursue your career. Who wants to go first? Christine, I'll make you go first on this <laughs> okay. one. OK, <laughs> sounds good.
1: Um, I'm, I'm re- I've always been really, really in tune to politics and current events and kind of what's going on in the world. And I've always loved the idea of um, physician as advocate. Because I mean, whether this is right or wrong, we can have a discussion about this at another time. I'm not trying to say whether this is right or wrong. But the truth of the matter is, if you're a physician and you walk and knock on the mayor's door and try to advocate for people, you are much more likely to be heard than someone who is not an MD. And again, I'm not trying to say whether that's right or wrong, but I definitely think that there's some truth to that. Um, So I've always just known that I wanted to advocate for people, especially children who don't have um, the kind of background or resources that I had when I was a kid. Uh, So that, I definitely am most excited about getting to advocate for people who maybe don't have the resources to do that themselves. And most scared of, I think that along in that same breath, we live in a system right now and in a world that is incredibly overwhelmed, especially during a pandemic. So just kind of trying to navigate my way through a lack of resources, especially me, I want to practice in more of a rural setting. Um, so trying to practice with a limited set of resources, a limited set of providers, a limited set of PPE and medical supplies, that, that scares me a lot because it seems like a lot of doctors nowadays who are so overwhelmed and their practices are so over, overrun, you can do the best you can and you can be the best doctor you can, but if you're kind of, I hate to say, it, but set up to fail by a system who's not supporting you, that scares me a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. That is so real, so real. Thank you for sharing. What about you, Brittany? Most excited and most scared of as a future
2: biomedical scientist? <laughs> um, I'm most excited that I really have a huge career choice that I can like pick from. Like science can really, you really can find yourself anywhere, whether it's in industry or whether it's at a university doing research. Um, But either way, you're contributing to, um, like, world knowledge. Like, you're contributing and benefiting um, the community to further, like, how to make yourself better, you know, how to get rid of disease and how to get rid of cancer, things like that. Um, So, yeah, I'm just really excited for, like, the next step after my PhD, like, what kind of career setting I will go into. Um, But I'm most scared of, I guess... Um, thinking about, like, how the world has been these last couple of years, um, that as a scientist, I've spent, you know, six years in a PhD, four years in a bachelor's, and I'm most scared that at the end of this, that my knowledge and the hard work that I've put into this will just not be heard and not be considered, that, like, you know, scientists are lying to you, you know, so, I guess yeah that 's my biggest fear is that my knowledge will be worth nothing <laughs> so
0: initially, you know I, I wanted to ask about what would you go back and tell the freshman version of yourself, but I want to emphasize something that you both just said it 's almost like the pandemic effect right mm-hmm. on both of you in science and in medicine, so, to all of our listeners that are considering science or medicine through and after and during a pandemic, what would you tell to keep them energetic? What would you tell them to keep them excited and to know that there is a pot of gold at the end of this somewhat tumultuous
1: rainbow? I have my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I ready. I know, wow, I know the answer awesome. to this one. Uh, I would say, I mean, it's hard now because of COVID, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this in future episodes, but shadow. If you want to be a doctor, shadow doctors. Try to. Um, it's again; those opportunities are kind of limited now with COVID. But if you can, definitely do it. This is what I've done a lot my first year, and even you know through pandemic learning and starting medical school, and you know personal challenges that we all face every day, that has kept me so connected to why I started this in the first place. When you go in with a doctor and you meet a family who is you know struggling and they're in some of the worst days of their life and you get to be a part of in your own small way as the person who's shadowing you get to be a part of helping those people and it just it reminds you of why you started in the first place and even an hour two hours out of your day with a with a physician who is willing to have you just so impactful for me it is really it's really kept me really strong throughout this <laughs> pandemic. So that's what I recommend.
0: To those of our listeners that may be struggling to find volunteering or shadowing in a clinical setting, um, the thing that I recommend is getting a paid clinical position. We are in such a dire shortage of um, any healthcare professional, but patient care tech, CNA. CNAs, um, EMTs, medical assistants, medical scribes, right? If those shadowing and volunteering experiences are too hard to come by, get a paid position, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to give you those patient interactions in such immense value. So Brittany, what about you? What would you say to the listeners to keep them energetic and just excited um, through the pandemic world?
2: Um, I don't know. Something that really helped me like when I was transitioning from undergrad to grad school was getting involved in science Twitter. Um, I feel like there's a great community there. You can reach out to other researchers, someone who's transitioning just like yourself, and as well as like big public figures in science like Bill Nye. Like I remember when oh I went to gosh, the March Bill for Nye. Science. <laughs> yeah, and it. Bill Nye spoke and it was just so like invigorating and like got you so excited about science. So like, I really think that just talking to your fellow scientists like at your university and getting involved in Science Twitter is definitely going to help you, you know, stay perseverance, you know, through this crazy time right now. So both of you
0: in your undergraduates, um, we're gonna focus back in on the research. When did you start doing
2: research in undergrad? yeah I can start out um so in undergrad um one of the aspects of SUNY Potsdam's um like science program so like I was a biochemistry major um you either take like upper level classes or you can start taking um research credit and a lot of my peers decided to do research credit so I was like sure why not let's you know let's start building those relationships with your professors you know as you take the next step in your career. And so I just kind of went around and looked for professors who were doing research. And I found um, Dr. David Gingrich. And I asked him if I could join his lab. And he was like, yeah, sure, let's sit down and let's talk about it. And I just kind of took off from there. And I spent uh, three years of my undergrad doing research with him i love that
1: yeah
0: what an influential person yeah what an influential person so what about you christina
1: yeah so um like Brittany, i also went to a suny school i went to suny binghamton i love go bearcats (laughs) love binghamton um (laughs) and i so i was part of a really cool program my first and second year um it's called the first year research immersion program where basically you are at the time i was invited into the program but i don't know if it's something you can apply for now But, um, so you're invited into the lab and you get to pick, they call them streams, um, where you get to pick kind of what area of research you wanna get into. So I picked the biofilm stream. So I basically studied biofilms and antibiotic resistance under a very lovely professor. Um, I met lots of really, really cool, smart, kind people. So they're some of my best friends to this day um, that I met in that lab. And so I think the main thing that I learned from that experience is in my opinion, if you are applying to medical school, it is best to kind of get your research out of the way in the first two years. The reason why I say that is because your last two years are very much application focused if you're applying regular admission. Now, again, this is just my perspective. I'm sure other people would have different opinions about this, but I recommend getting started early. And if you're someone who maybe you're you know, maybe you're a non-traditional pre-health major, maybe you're a Spanish major and a French minor, or you're not a science driven person, but you still want to go into medicine. That's completely fine. I think any research opportunity, um, whether it's a hard science, uh, like core science research, whether it's a humanities based uh, research focus that you're kind of going for, whatever it is, I think any research is valuable research and it's an opportunity to learn. And I definitely recommend doing it as, as early as you can, just so that those last two years are application focused.
0: Yeah, I would I would definitely agree from like an admissions lens. And I also think that it's a foundation. It's a foundation from which to inquire and ask questions. And, you know, working in research recruiting for the better part of my career, I always try to bring focus back to that research biomedical science is the foundation for healthcare, right? We glamorize our healthcare professionals and that's amazing and we should, but at the foundation of that, we wouldn't have these Vaccines, we wouldn't have these saliva tests. We wouldn't have any of it without the magical humans like Frank Middleton, right? <laughs> um, so I'm gonna quote, you know, Dr. Mark Schmidt, you know, really the producers of knowledge are those researchers, and our healthcare professionals are the interpreters sometimes of that knowledge or the consumers of that knowledge and kind of the caveat to our to our patients, to our people, to our community. Um so in the air of transparency, um, we're walking and following the footsteps of our, our inaugural hosts because mm-hmm. this podcast and to our listeners were all about transparency. And we know that the pathway to any given career is not always um, sunshine and butterflies, um, which is actually how I like, try to live my life <laughs> in sunshine and <laughs> butterflies. But for both of you, when you first started doing research, what did you love about it and what did you not love about it?
2: I can go first. Yeah. Um, I love, um, well, when I first started out, I really loved being at the bench, and I really loved troubleshooting experiments. Um, it's just something I've always loved to do. I just love to say, oh, like, oh, well, yes, I need this um, Western blot to work. Like, I need to be able to show that this protein is upregulated in this setting, in these cells. But um, if I don't get that, I love just sitting down and being like, okay, let's see if I can tweak this. Let's see if I can tweak that. Um, and as my boss would say, you tend to get lost in that little pit. If Brittany, you really need to look at bigger picture. But um, yeah, I just really love just sitting down and getting in the nitty gritty and just looking looking at science. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And so what did you not love about it? Um, I guess... I didn't really like that um, my schedule rotated around my experiments. Uh Um, I remember being like, oh, yeah, I do have to go to class, but I also need to set up this 12-hour experiment where I'll have to come back at, like, 9 o'clock at night. But, um, yeah, I would tend to get a little sunk into the lab and forget about my classes, which I guess – but was it was kind it of proves part. the point. Yeah. Right? It's where your passion lied. You yeah. know. And sometimes
0: when we're so passionate, our work life balance <laughs> tends to take a back seat. And then yeah. we, you know,
2: come to a screeching halt and pull it back to, mm-hmm. you know, middle. But that's yeah. Yeah, but on the plus side, I've really um, figured out what kind of setting and what kind of lab I wanted to join at upstate based on like troubleshooting and what my interaction was like in that lab in undergraduate. So
0: yeah and I would say that as m- much as we explore it's important to find out the things that we don't like as much as the things that we do mm-hmm. right so Christina what about you what did you love and what did you not really love
1: so I would say my favorite part of it and also I just want to make a clarification I, I called I, I, I used the term hard science in the last uh the last response I gave and I just wanted to clarify that I meant core science I kind of that word <laughs> has like a weird connotation to that I don't like to use but anyway, so um, I really liked, I'm extremely extroverted, hence probably why I'm on a podcast. <laughs> um, and I love the opportunity that we would, when we would go to these poster sessions and we would go to these, you know, big open forums for discussion about all of these amazing research opportunities. I loved walking up to people and just starting to talk to them about what they were studying and why. It gave me, number one, a a kind of a practice opportunity to learn how to do that because I think that that's a particular skill. You know, they, they call it the elevator talk. I think that that is a really, really key skill, not only in research, but in any profession that you're in at all. Um, so just that opportunity to talk to people and kind of pick people's brain and and kind of network and and do that kind of thing, I thought that was really, really key to my own professional development. And one thing that I, I think I didn't really, I wasn't a huge fan of was there was a lot of writing and I wasn't, I was not <laughs> expecting that. And I was actually in college, I was a biology and political science double major. So I was used to writing these really long essays where I was, you know, arguing and trying to prove a point and using this. One style of language, and then I got to scientific writing, and I was very in for a, very much in for a surprise because it is completely different than any other kind of writing that I was used to. So that kind that part was not really my my thing, but I learned a lot, and I'm grateful for the opportunity. Well, thank you
0: so much for sharing. I think for our listeners especially, it's important to know kind of what things to expect on their own journeys and, you know, making sure you're reminding yourself of the differences between different types of writing. And I agree, when I was writing my dissertation, it is so different than any other type of writing when you're doing research. You have to be so concise. I'm too fluffy for this. Mm -hmm, Me too. Um, (laughs) And um, for Brittany, it's about, you know, making sure that work-life balance and being honest with yourself about what you do and don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, for both of you, who has been your most impactful mentor in your academic journeys? Do
1: you want to start I'll go up? first yeah. on this one. Um, I would say my my mom is probably my most impactful mentor. My mom was it's not in healthcare; she's not a physician. She's actually a hairdresser, um, and I think one of my biggest lessons that I've learned from her in a professional in a, in a professional realm is definitely that you know it doesn't. To be successful in whatever you're going to be in, whether it's medicine or law or whatever you want to be when you grow up, it's not about being the most brilliant, geniusy person in the room with all the ideas. And that's not, I, I think that that's a myth. You know, to be a doctor, to be in medicine, to be a medical student, you don't have to be the smartest person in every room. I think that that doesn't exist anywhere. <laughs> um, but it's about, I think, basic life skills, you know, the ones that our parents nagged us about when we were kids and then we always both, you know, make your bed every day and pay attention to detail, prepare for the, prepare for the future, you know, plan ahead. All those things are basic skills that are super super important for to for you to be successful in my opinion in in anything you do. So my mom kind of always tried to instill that in me, those kind of core principles about how to live and how to find success in life and I think that those basic principles have helped me so much in my journey into to medical school for sure.
0: I love that. And as a mom, when my three and five year old hear this, I hope that they say the same yes, thing. Yes, you
1: should <laughs> tell them Christina said,
0: <laughs> "Pay attention to detail." <laughs> and Brittany, what about you? Who's your been your most impactful mentor?
2: Oh gosh, um, I really, I don't, I really can't say one person. I feel like it's hard because. At different aspects in your life, like you have different different mentors, you know. Like throughout high school, yes, my parents did play like an enormous role in that. But like when I went to undergrad, like it really ended up just you know being my friends, you know, helping me through this. And like I had older friends, so like they graduated before I did, so that really helped like kind of drive my undergraduate career. But like here at grad school, like I really think that you know my boss Gary Chan really. Is, is a great mentor and has really helped me, you know, like, um, expand as an individual and, you know, rethink, like, uh, my systematic way of thinking and things like that. So Shout out to Gary Chan. I yeah. heard the same thing from his other students, so shout out
0: to him. Um, so uh, switching gears a little bit, what was the transition like from your undergraduate programs to your graduate
2: degrees. Brittany, let's start with you. Yeah. Excuse me. Sorry. Um, What was the transition like? Um, Abrupt. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's one way to put it. I remember thinking back to like senior year Brittany and being so excited about grad school and being like, oh, this is gonna be so easy because like I'm, you know, I'm doing so well in undergrad and I love research like how hard can this really be and then I remember getting to first year and just being like oh wow imposter syndrome is like real and I really don't feel like I fit in here but then when I like remember talking to my friends like everyone feels that way yep and the first year is the toughest like so the way grad school works um like um the College of Graduate Studies works here at Upstate is that like your first two years is when you really take your core classes and then you kind of switch your focus back into research and maybe take a class here and there that will benefit your career. Um, so the first two years were hard, just kind of learning more in-depth science for your department and, um, transitioning as to like what your thinking process should be like as you, um, uh, keep growing and stepping towards your Ph.D. Um, and so those first two years were rough, but um, I got through it and now I love it. You know, I love doing the research and I feel like you just you just kind of grow each year and you just realize, like, I can do this and I can get through this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's almost like you struggle to establish a baseline sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, not only to getting used to the culture, the environment, the institution, but also because those first two foundational years are that for a reason, right? You have to take in all this knowledge, and then your research really shows it where you apply it and where you can actually, bits and pieces will be utilized. So it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And we'll talk a little bit more in a second about (laughs) kind of what that year looked like, those couple of years like, what about you, Christina? What was the transition like from undergraduate to medical school?
1: Yeah, uh, Brittany, when you said that about imposter syndrome, I started snapping under the table, so I agree <laughs> with you on that one. Yeah. That's so real, it's it's so real. Um, but no, so I honestly, it was rough. Um, I just started in the fall, I think it's rough for everyone. Um, I coming out of you know, graduating college the last two years in a pandemic. And taking the MCAT in a pandemic, and having my MCAT exam rescheduled, and all the uncertainty and the online learning, I thought when I graduated College of Binghamton in the spring, I thought I've seen I've seen it all. Like it couldn't get harder than this, you know. But then I got here, and it's not that it's harder necessarily. It's that it's different, and right. your skills, yeah, mm-hmm. your skills that you learned in undergrad are so valuable um, because they kind of. The skills that I learned in undergrad and the success that I found there academically, it kind of gives me the competence to know that I can do it. But it's just finding a schedule, finding how you study, how it works best for you, letting yourself have the ability to maybe do bad on a quiz or maybe not do as well as you think you're going to do because that only shows you that what you're doing isn't working and you need to switch it up. Every opportunity I realized in the in the fall to learn from my mistake was so important because it showed me how I study best. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to learn that unless you have tried a bunch of ways and not been successful at those, Mm -hmm. you know. So I think that that was scary. Just that vulnerability of not knowing how to do what I was going to have to do was scary. But, you know, you persevere and you keep your eye on the prize and you just keep trying things and eventually something will work. So...
0: I want to I wanna talk a little bit more about something you both said. So, you know, me, right, as a 30-something, we won't talk about 30-what. <laughs> um, imposter syndrome is still so real and, mm-hmm. for me, right? Um, and I think it's really valuable that we, we kind of embellish on that for our listeners a little bit because – to a point, imposter syndrome can allow us to be, remain humble and to always strive for better and kind of the the more you know or the more you learn, the less you know mentality. But there's a point where it crosses that line, right, and is really, really just interrupting how we, we go through the academic world. So... If you don't mind, and Mm -hmm. if it's not too much, I would love for you both to talk about the ways that you have coped, the ways that in a world of STEM and science and in a lot of, I'm sorry, big egos, right, Mm -hmm. about how you've navigated imposter syndrome.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I'll start because I have a lot of <laughs> a lot of feelings about this, and I also think it's important for us. First of all, I think we should kind of come up with our maybe our own definition of it before we start, just so we're kind of mm-hmm. all on the same page. I think of it. This is the way that I think about it. I think of imposter syndrome as just the feeling. This is gonna sound intense. The feeling of just feeling like a fraud. Like I don't belong here. There's someone else better than me that belong that deserves this spot more than me. And it's not that that's the way that I actually feel. It's like it's an intrusive thought that that interrupts what I actually think and then makes me question myself and it undermines my confidence. And I think especially when you're in science and you're in medicine and you're learning how to take care of people, that confidence, not overconfidence and not ego. I think those things are dangerous, too. But that confidence in yourself that you know maybe this test or this quiz or this whatever this project isn't going to go the way that I think it's going to go but whatever happens I will figure it out I think that that's that's healthy confidence so those those imposter syndrome thoughts kind of undermine that and I think that's dangerous but so I am I am not I hate to say it, like, I'm not like a lot of the other medical students. I'm a theater kid. I love theater. I walk in, I have Glee, the Glee soundtrack, blasting in my ears on my walk the to same. the parking lot. I have a whole yeah.
0: new level of appreciation for you. We'll talk I have, more.
1: I have pink scrubs. Okay, every oh, I everything it. I own is pink. I've mm-hmm. been I've been called the the medical school version of Elle Woods. That sounds like really <laughs> weird. But it's true. Like I'm I just that's the way that I am. Like that word you use, fluffy. I just am that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's this pressure to kind of conform to this very, you know, hyper-serious kind of, I can't, there's not a tangible way for me to describe it, but anyone who's in medical school, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and I'm just not that person. You know, I like to laugh. I like to, I, I'm just, that's just not who I am. So anyway, I think its it's easy for me to feel like that because I am kind of like a little bit different in that way. But I think what I always just try to remind myself is, you have to focus on the small moments in life where you feel like really, really confident, or you really, really, you've proved to yourself that you know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, well, and I, before Brittany, before you go, I want to address that. That is such an important point that I want to touch upon. Um, being a serious and professional student or practitioner is not synonymous with also not being warm and mm-hmm, fuzzy and mm-hmm. fluffy and kind. And an individual. And I think that that is something that you have to hold on to mm-hmm. so dearly because guess what? You want your patience. And for me, I want my students to hold on to those bits of them mm-hmm. because when the tough gets going, right, it's going to be the things that they find balance or reprieve in that are so closely aligned with who they are that is what will be at the end of the day what pulls them back to you know true north so it's mm-hmm. so important that
1: individuality
0: and i yeah. love that
1: and i've had patients standardized patients tell me that that i'm very thorough and that i do my job and i ask the right questions as much as i'm able but that i seem like i'm a regular person who i who you just want to talk to and i i try to be that way because i think that's key to the patient doctor interaction is the ability to, to talk and be listened to. Mm-hmm. So, okay, right. I'll get off yeah. my soapbox. Approachable.
2: Yeah. Brittany, how do you address imposter syndrome? Christina touched on it really well. Um, you know, it is hard the first and your second year, I think, um, on a PhD track. Actually, let's be real, throughout your entire PhD track, um, that you do feel like these waves of imposter syndrome and the thing that really got me through was that you know it does come and go and that you yes you will feel weak like you oh my gosh i know nothing like i am so much different than everyone else and clearly they're like way better at this than i am and they know so much more and they're just here to test me to see if i have the guts to get through it And it really is those small moments where like, you know, someone says to you, oh, wow, I didn't even think about that. Or like, yeah, you're right. That is how this functions and works. And um, that really, it really did help me. And talking to my peers, being like, wow, this week, I really don't feel like I know anything. And then being like, wow, I also feel the same. It must be something in the weather, (laughs) you know, like we're all feeling this way. So yeah, that's really, really what helps me. Thank you guys so yeah. much for
0: sharing. Um, for Brittany, you talked a little bit about your first couple of years. I want to focus in, um, I know in the first year of your PhD program, you do three rotations typically. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the things that you were looking for in those research rotations? And kind of tell our, our listeners a little bit more about what those are.
2: Yeah, so um, in your first year, uh, like Crystal said, you do three rotations, and um, and i rotated in the microbiology and immunology department because i knew i wanted to study um, viruses i looked for a faculty member who was um there um, but more as like a guidance and then i also looked for um a lab that had other individuals in that in there because i knew that i would need someone to talk to um because as much as I love talking to myself, you know, you really do need someone to bounce ideas off of. Um, if it's not a PI, you know, someone who's also going through the same thing you are. Um, and yeah, and then the third thing was seeing if I do love the project and seeing if I could get along with it. So,
0: so once you determined your lab, tell us more about your current project.
2: Yeah, so uh, my lab studies human cytomegalovirus or CMV, and we are looking at how this ans- uh how this virus manipulates um, a certain cell in your body. So it's called a monocyte, and it circulates throughout your body, going through, going to places of infection, and trying to clear out the virus from your body. So uh, actually, CMV infects these monocytes and. Um, uses them as a shuttle to get to different points in your body. So sort of like spread the infection throughout your body um, for the advantage of the virus. So we, our lab, specifically focuses on how um, the virus manipulates this cell and how it promotes survival in these cells to be beneficial for systemic spread of the virus. That is incredible.
0: Some of it I understood. <laughs> I was going to say I tried to <laughs> <That's>, no <laughs> explain
2: it as well as I could. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think that you explained it very well. I'm an education researcher, so mm-hmm. I caught I caught some. Right? Okay, good. <laughs> um, but I think that our listeners likely will catch much more than I did. And I think that it reminds us all, right? Um, the healthcare heroes um, come down to these foundational levels, right? And the work that you will. You are doing is so translational and has so many benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Christina, going over to you, how do you see the value of research playing a role for you as a physician?
1: Yeah, I I think there's many ways that I could kind of take that answer. The first way definitely is research is an environment that I definitely use as like a professional development kind of opportunity. Again, like the ability to talk to people, advocate for yourself, work on a team—that um, was actually another another point that I wanted to make—is on my team. Like it was, it came, it became very apparent throughout the, the three semesters that we worked together. Everyone kind of had their own strengths. My strength was presentations, networking, going to conferences, talking to people about our research. That was definitely my biggest strength. But something like you know making graphics for our poster or running numbers those things were best suited for other members of the team so definitely uh, learning how to work on a team and a lot of doctors do that you know you have these big practices and physicians consult with each other that's really really important in medicine Um, and I think also like just as a physician it's your duty your responsibility whatever specialty you're in to not only you know stay up on the research of your you know whatever you're focusing on if you're an ENT you should be staying up on the current literature there but you know patients are dynamic everyone has different comorbidities so using literature as a tool to kind of make everything make sense maybe for one patient who, who has a lot of issues going on that's also really important so you know as in as someone who wants to go into medicine we are appreciative of you, Brittany, because I, I couldn't do what you do, but you're um, And I you're definitely super important. could not do what you do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so for both of you, um, outside of your academics, how else are you both involved
1: in campus? Hmm,
2: that's a great question.
1: So I'm on this podcast, um, which is a really cool opportunity. And I also um, am a part of the Binghamton Upstate Mentoring Partnership Program, which is a program where I am partnered to a group of undergraduate students who want to go into medicine. Um, We basically meet a couple times a semester and I answer their questions and give them advice and just kind of act as just a a person to go to when you need advice about academic related issues. Um, I definitely had a lot of those people who I would ask advice um, when I was an undergrad. So that's a really, really meaningful opportunity for me. I'm also um, working to be a part of the um, Environmental Justice and Sustainability Club that is just kind of starting to become a thing. Another medical student is making that a thing, and I hope I just applied to be um, on, an, on the e-board. So hopefully I get that. Um, but I'm also really involved in music outside of campus. Um, I have a job singing at my church, which is really fun. Um, so I love keeping music part of my life.
0: Well, you forgot also what you're doing this summer. Yes,
1: this, uh, <laughs> this summer I will be a TA um, for Crystal's um, class that she's teaching with the oh, Upstate awesome. Accelerated Scholars. And I'll also be um, working in the hospital as a fellow um, in the psychiatry department with the Ellen Cook Jacobson Psychiatry um, Summer Fellowship Program. So I will have clinical experience, mentoring experience. Um, I'm really excited for this summer. So, you are so busy. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes, I am. Yeah.
2: Well, my involvement uh, on campus is minimal. I apologize, guys. Um, But it's reality, (laughs) right? We're all about transparency. Yeah. So, I don't, yeah, I don't really do much, like, related to Upstate, really, other than just come to work and go home. Um, And the podcast. Oh, right. Yes, I am on the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) but, yeah, other than that, uh, I mean, I know Upstate does uh, have a lot of activities going on campus, and I do catch those from time to time. Um but other than that, it's just me living my life, going home, making dinner. <laughs> but this is important, right? Yeah. We
0: have to be able to talk about the difference in between people's preferences, people's mm-hmm. work, people's life, and those balances. Yeah, I'm not as extroverted. <laughs> yeah, and I okay. think that that is, has so much value. Um, so don't feel bad about that. My last question um, is how do you guys – as females in STEM navigate the academic medical world? And do you feel like as a female that that's been a lighter or heavier or neutral lift for you? Let me end with a banger,
2: right? (laughs) Yeah, there really
1: is.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I can start off. Um, In undergrad, I really wasn't aware of how difficult it can be as a woman in STEM until, um, one of my very best friends, Rachel Faye pointed out, um, one day when a professor made a comment to me that was sexist. And I was actually like, what? Like I it just went straight over my head because I didn't think, well, this is, you know, this is society we live in this. I just have to deal with this. And I really think that she helped me like sort of refocus my, um, like how I view society and um, what it is like to be a woman in STEM and how it has it has been hard for a lot of those, you know, pioneering women to make their mark in STEM. And, um, you know, as we do see in Upstate, there is an increasing amount of number of women who are into the STEM field. Like I know this coming or this last class only had like three or four men in their uh, cohort. So I was like, wow, this really is, you know, transitioning into a woman-run field, I feel. It's hard to describe, um, I think, to others, what each personal experience is like. Like, I know, Christina, you'll probably have a different experience than me. Yeah, Christina.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I, I agree that I think every person's experience is different, which I think is unfortunate because that lends itself to, you know, people have, some people have worse experiences than others. Thankfully, I've never, that I can remember, had any experience in class or in, in any like professional development opportunity where I've felt singled out as a as for my gender, um, which I'm really I'm thankful for that. But I mean, I think that there's a lot of people out there who don't understand what we mean when we when yeah. we're talking about this. But like, I'll give a prime example as to why I believe that this is still very much a man's world. When I'm walking to the parking lot at night it is, it is a, a health risk for me. So my parking lot is like probably a 15-20 minute walk away. <laughs> yes, it, is. <laughs> it is a, it is a safety hazard for me to walk there by myself. I can't even walk alone after 8 p.m. and not fear. I mean, men fear that too. Big men fear, fear that too, but not in the same way as we do at all. Um, so that's an example, I guess, of a, of a way that I felt it in my own personal life. But um, I don't know. I, I was fortunate. I, I was raised by a mom and um, a family who just kind of always just encouraged me to just be myself. And if that means that I'm opinionated sometimes, or that I'm quiet sometimes, or that I, you know what I mean? Like, I just was yeah. never, I was never raised in an environment that expected me to be anything different than me. Um, So I, I kind of come at it from a different way. But I think that the best way that we can go about changing it is just by making it not okay. You know, if someone yeah. if a professor or someone that you know is making you feel uncomfortable, speaking up, going to someone that you can trust, advocating for each other, making an environment that where that kind of behavior is not okay. And I'm I I feel I feel hopeful because I know a lot of people who are like-minded to us mm-hmm. who
2: are not going to stand for that. And I'm grateful for that. And the crazy thing is, it seems like, um, you know, nowadays that we are standing up for ourselves and we are like Mm -hmm. sharing our stories that there seems to be a lot of people that share a story with you or Mm -hmm. experience with, let's say that professor or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I really do think that, you know, you, you aren't alone. Like you, you do have a support system, especially here at Upstate But um, I do think that we are supported by, you know, our women faculty and they understand um, how hard it can be Mm -hmm. to, you know, do science or be in the medical field as a woman.
1: Yeah. I think just being yourself and and not standing for that kind of behavior Mm -hmm. is important.
0: Well, listen, this is our transitional episode for Admission Granted. Um, We had Brittany and Christina, and you will hear them as the next co hosts with Natalie Nunez. Um, So, thank you both for joining us. This is Dr. Crystal Ripa, and we are signing off now. Thank you for listening.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much.